0: Now, if you can, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Job, the book of Job, in chapter one. Now, many of it, many of you in here might witness history tonight. This might be the earliest that you get out. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I was told 25 minutes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna aim for 30 and hopefully hit 25. But really, I am not. A, I'm not a long-winded preacher. Uh, but I do believe that there's a truth here in these verses, and I. I would like to share that with you today. Uh, If you look at Job chapter 1 and verse 1, we're going to go through the whole chapter. I won't have you stand. But I kind of want want you guys to get the background of the story. Because I, I think many times we read through Bible stories and we take the end for granted. And I want you to pretend that you don't know the end of the story. I want you to pretend that maybe it changed the name of Job in your mind. Uh, maybe maybe change it up a little bit so that your brain does not remember what the end is like. Because if you remember correctly, and if, you know, logic tells us Job didn't know. Job didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, verse 1, we'll start there. Job chapter 1 verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God. And eschewed evil. Now, many of you might be saying, Well, Brother Wesley, he's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. Well, that word does not mean that he didn't make mistakes, but he was very well rounded. It also says that he was upright. He had a good moral standing in the community. It says that he feared God. He had a, a, a good respect of God and who God was. And he also eschewed evil. Basically means he hated evil. Verse 2 And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters, okay, so there wasn't too much drama in that household, only three daughters, okay, so those seven sons only had four moms, that's what we're seeing here, okay, Uh, verse 3, his substance also was 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all The men in the east. Verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. So we see here in these first verses, they emphasize the character and the greatness of Job. Now, Job was not your run of the mill, regular sort of guy. Job was really being used of God, and God was blessing Job because Job, if you see the four things there, he was perfect, he was upright, he feared God. And Job eschewed evil. And you see that not only is God blessing Job, but he's blessing his heritage, and he's blessing his business. And when I think about a man uh, that like Job, I think of my grandpa. Okay? My grandpa, if, if you don't know him, his name is Pete Cowling. And he used to live in Tennessee. And he would teach at the University of Tennessee. And a, a couple different times, he was nominated teacher or professor of the year. And uh, he really, he had many different of the students who went from the University of Tennessee to a Bible college. And one day he got a phone call from the leader of that Bible college asking if he could move from the University of Tennessee, where, I mean, if, if you cut any of us, we'll bleed a little orange, okay? I, I know we are Oregon Duck fans also, but uh, as far as UT goes, we are fans of that as well. But, they, but that man asked him to move from Tennessee and to go north and to teach at a Bible college that he had never heard of. And if you were to ask man about that, that would be insane. Well, why would you? Why would you leave where you already have a nice house? You have acreage there. You're having a good place where you raise your family. The Lord is using you there, and He moves. The Lord moves him all the way up to Indiana, where He'll tell you He got a 65 percent pay cut. And uh, yeah, honestly, I don't know if you have been to the Midwest in the winter, but it's not very fun. Okay, I I work at Discount Tire. And I work outside, and many times we do flat repairs where it's wet, it's outside, and it's been negative degrees before. And moving from the south to the north for him was a big thing. But if, if you were to ask my grandpa, why did you do that? He would tell you, uh, he told God, God, if you decide to, to either use me or use my children, I would ask that you would use my children. So he made that decision not necessarily for himself, before his heritage, So we see here, first of all, that verses 1 through 5 emphasize the character and the greatness of Job. Well, let's look at verse 6. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it, verse eight. And the Lord said unto Satan, "Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, and one that feared God and eschewed evil?" Now I want to ask you guys a question, real quick. All right, who wrote the book of Job? Not necessarily that the pen, the pen uh, that was used, but the author, and that would be the Lord God did. Now my question to you is, if God gave a really short description. After your name, what would he say? Would he say Wesley Vestal, one that was perfect and upright, feared God, and eschewed the evil? I don't know. I don't know if that would be me. I don't know if that would be you. But let each and every one of us live in a way where that would happen. Another thing is if that interaction were to happen today, where Satan were to go to God, would God bring up your name? Would he bring up Wesley Vestal? Would Would he bring up Tommy Song? Would he bring up Carson Kidwell? I don't know. But I do know this, that we can live in a way where we can honor God, and that could have, been, that could have happened to, to one of us. Also, if you look later on, it says, Satan will always second-guess the motives of one who is sold out to God. Verse 9 says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? Basically, Satan says, You know, the only reason that Job is following you is because you protect him. And because you are blessing him. Look at, look at verse 10. Hast not thou made an hedge about him? That's the, that's the protection part and about his house and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Basically, Satan is saying the only reason that Job is following you is because you are, you're protecting him and you are giving him financial help, helping him with his business. Verse 11, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we see here that Satan wants to destroy everything that God has built. Satan, He wants to destroy everything God has built. And you notice the first attack here, is on the man of God and trying to affect his family. Now, if you look at if you look at the world today, they call good evil and evil good. And I feel like now today more than ever than, than I've ever seen it before. And Satan is attacking the very morals and and the and the foundations that the Bible is planted on. He's trying to attack those because he knows if he can get the foundation, that the the, the rest of the building will, will crumble. All right, let's look at verse thirteen. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And if you look down through the rest of these next few verses, you see here that Job loses his substance. If you look later on in verse 19... And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house. That house had all his children in it. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Now, that's a a pretty hard trial that Job is going through. Everything's going good for Job. Job has a great life. Now, I wrote down a few things, and, and these are some examples for today. Job had ten children. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. And if you were to add that up in today's money, that would be an estimated $33.4 million. Job was a very wealthy man. But more important than his wealth, I believe, he had 10 children. And I believe that he loved them with all of his heart. But the Lord decided to take them away from him. And I want you to put yourself in Job's situation right now. Put yourself in Job's shoes and try to ask yourself, how would I respond to this? If God had given me millions, tens of millions of dollars in in all of this business and and he's really blessing me. If God had given me ten children, seven sons and three daughters, and in one day that was all taken away, what would our response be? I don't know what my response would be. I've thought about it. It's really hard to to really place yourself in that scenario. But if that happened to you, what would be the first words out of your mouth? Would it be, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord? Or would it be, God, why me? And and we start to blame God and and shake our our fist and and shake our finger at God and get mad at Him. What What would our reaction be? Um, to, the title of my message today is Reasons That Job Remained Faithful. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you know that you've given us a, a great day today and, and this truth, Lord, I ask that you would use it in a great way. Lord, please help me, help me in these next few minutes, God, uh, to portray this message in the way that, that you would deem necessary, Lord. And God, I just ask that you would help each and every one of us to come away from this message, learning something and applying something to our lives that we can use Later on down the road, in your name, amen. Alright, so just like Job remained faithful amidst hard times, I propose to you that faithfulness should be the primary characteristic of every Christian. In other words, if you are a person that cannot be counted on, it gives others a negative idea of who God is. What I'm trying to say is that one who is faithfully follows God with his whole heart can be a great, positive testimony for christ and i know there are many people in my life that have been faithful i can think of pastor mutchler coming out here i don't even know how many years ago and and I, I remember just from a young child him being my pastor and and he stayed faithful to this area for i think it's 37 or 38 years i can think of my parents being faithful i can think of my grandparents and, and people in leadership that have remained faithful but my but but basically the message today is here are three statements that Job learned throughout his life as a faithful Christian. And I believe that if we can implement these three statements in our life, if we can really hold on to these truths, I believe that each and every one of us can remain faithful as a Christian. First, I want you to look at Job 1 and chapter 19. The Bible says, and actually verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. That's the first thing he did. He humbled himself before the Lord, and he worshipped God. Right after he heard that his ten children, and that all of his money, all, basically all of his animals, were taken away. Verse 21, and said, we're going to look at this first phrase. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. You know, the first thing that Job realized, is he realized that everything in this life is temporary. Everything that we own, everything that we see right now that's tangible, that we touch, okay, it's, it's not going to be here forever, but there are things that will last forever. Now, when I was younger, I remember growing up in a Christian school, and we had a chalkboard. Now, I'm going to get your guys' votes real quick now between a chalkboard and between a dry erase board, all right? So, raise your hand if you are a chalkboard fan, okay? All right, I don't know, I, I can't stand chalkboards. There are a couple reasons why, okay? First of all, when you're drawing on a chalkboard, you know that, that, the, that, that feeling that you get, and it's like nails on a chalkboard, literally, okay? But I, I could not stand that. But also, guess who would get the job of taking the erasers outside and hitting them together and also uh, getting all that powder in your lungs? That was me, okay? I did not like chalkboards, so the day that we got dry erase boards in school was a great day for me. I thought, well, this is great. You have this marker, and it draws, and there's no, there's not, none, of that, none of that noise going on. After you erase the chalkboard, you don't have to go outside and, and hit those together, and all the powder goes everywhere. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And the teacher that day, he, he let us do some math problems on there. He let me uh, draw some art on there, which I'm sure was great. I have no idea, okay? I was just a young boy. But I remember going home that evening, and I feel like all sermon sermon illustrations happen when the parents are gone, okay? But basically, my mom and dad had left, and it was Derek, Carissa, me, and Ryan at home. And I thought, hey, you know what? I got got pretty good at using that that dry erase marker. I bet that we might have one here at the house. So I started looking around at all the drawers, and sure enough, I I pulled open a drawer and grabbed a marker, and I thought we don't have a whiteboard, I'm sure there's something I can draw on. That, that would, I know my parents would love it to come home and to see the great art that I had painted or drawn for them. And I remember I was looking around and I saw some, we had cork drink coasters, okay? So you'd set, your, you'd set either a mug or a cup on there so the, the wood wouldn't get tarnished there. And, and I thought, hey, I think it would be great if I drew a picture of myself with my name under it and for all of the family on those drink coasters. So I started drawing away, man. I I think it looked great. I really have no idea, but I started I started drawing that. I, I drew myself and mom and dad and I, I, I there wasn't one for Princess, our dog. Okay, we only had six of them. Okay, so I'm I, too bad about that. But then I remember my parents came home, and it was very quiet for a couple minutes there. I can remember my mom picking up the coaster and. What I thought would be a smile on her face quickly turned to a frown. And I could see my mom and dad, like, looking at each other and wondering what to do. So they lined us up on the wall and they asked us, which one of you thought it was okay to take a marker and to draw on these coasters? And when they phrased it that way, I thought it was a bad thing. I was like, I, I, thought, I, was, I thought I was helping out with the, the, the artistry in our house. But I raised my hand and I said, well, I did. And my mom said, well, why did you think it was okay to, to use this marker on here? And I said, well, at school, we, we switch from a chalkboard to a dry erase board, and we have these new markers, and don't worry, Mom, we'll, we'll just wipe it off, and it'll be fine. And she said, Wesley, you, you've learned how to read before, right? And I said, well, yeah, I know, I know how to read. I've been reading since I was five years old. So I picked up the marker, and she said, I want you to read this marker. And I looked, and started with an S, but it didn't have the S sound. Sharpie. I said, oh, is this a, is this a new dry erase marker? And she said, no, that's a permanent marker. And there's no way that we can get the ink that is in these court coasters out. And, man, I really learned my lesson that day. I don't think I could sit down for about a week after that. And I, I definitely never, I'm never going to draw on drink coasters again. But and I know this is a little bit of a, a different illustration, but if we... When we write the pages of our life, which marker are we using? Am I using a dry erase marker where maybe it's, it's a new boat or a, a nicer house than I should have that one day will be erased? Is it maybe really nice clothes or, or things? And don't get me wrong, materials are not wrong to have and material things are not wrong. But are we more focused on the dry erase things in life or on the permanent things in life. Some of those permanent things I wrote down here. First of all, one thing that's permanent is our salvation. Now, that was, it was the best day of my life when I sat down with my dad. And he explained to me how I, how I was a sinner and I deserved hell. But Jesus died for me so I could go to heaven. And when I made that decision that day, that was permanent. That wasn't a dry erase decision. That was permanent. Another thing that is permanent is witnessing to others Something that I've been able to do the last, I think, uh, seven or eight weeks. And I I went and tallied up some of the numbers and praise the Lord for this. I'm not bragging at all, but the Lord allowed me to lead around 35 people to the Lord in the last eight weeks. Personally talking to them and getting to see them pray and ask Jesus in their heart. That is a permanent marker decision there. Another thing that's permanent is our treasures in heaven. Um, there is a, uh, a verse about that, and that will be up on the screen. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure, treasure is, there will your heart be also." You know, those are permanent things. When when I lay up treasures in heaven, when I do do good things, and, and when I and don't get me wrong, your your works do not get you to heaven, but they do bring you rewards in heaven, and those are permanent. So my first question to you is: Are you living for earthly pleasure or are you living for eternal treasure? Are you living for the, the, the dry erase marker things of this world, or are you living for the permanent marker things? And I believe that Job realized that everything in his life, in this life, is temporary, but everything done for God is permanent and will never be wiped away. That's the first thing. He realized everything was temporary. Also, in Job chapter 1 and verse 21, the next point, uh, the first thing he says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Now, let me get this right. He says that the Lord gave it to him, and the Lord took it away. So that means who whose were his his children and all his materials and, and all his animals? They were not Job's, they were God's. You know, Job realized that everything that he had was God. Psalm twenty four one says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Now how many of you have ever let someone borrow something from you before? Raise your hand, okay? Now, that's a very interesting thing to happen because you can have great relationships that are strained just because of something like that. I remember when I, was, when I was younger, I was about 16 years old, and every week I would go and visit the bus route in my blue truck. And I love that truck, We great memories going out there and, and visiting people, having a good time. But around Vacation Bible School time, that was probably my favorite time of the year, and many of you know that why. Because we got to use what's called the Seaport truck. Okay, now the Seaport truck is a Ford pickup truck that's lifted about ten feet—not really. Okay, it's it's about twelve inch lift, and it has fifty one inch Michelin XZL tires on it. That's basically a military grade tire, and it's basically it's it's made to promote Seaport. But they let us use it. And it basically, it'll attract people. You drive it around the neighborhood, and everyone you know, looks through the curtains like, wow, what is that, that monster truck out there? And they head outside, and you can sign them up for, for a vacation Bible school, and it's a great thing. But I remember one time when we were going to visit the bus route, and I got the nerves to ask my dad, and I said, can we take the Seaport truck? I, it would be really good. I, I think we'd sign up more people, and that's what I was saying. Okay, Really, I just wanted to drive it down the road. And he told me this. He said, Well Wesley, you can drive the seaport truck, but if anything happens to it, all the responsibility falls on you, and you're going to have to pay for it. And I got to thinking, well, that could, be, that could go really wrong real quick. But I took the chance, and I, I borrowed the truck. We visited and came back, and everything was great. But when you're borrowing something, when, if I was to go out in my truck... Maybe I might go, you know, five over the speed limit and go around the corner a little quicker. And, you know, if if anything happens to my truck, that means it's my fault and I'll take care of it. And it's not that big of a deal. But if something was to happen to something that's been given to me that I've been able to use for the Lord's work, there is a higher sense of responsibility that's given. And when we understand that everything that I've been given is not mine... And everything that I've been given is to be used for the Lord. That really changes our relationship with many things. When you when you think that your car is, is not actually your car. It's God's car. And he's loaning it to you to use for his work. That might change some of the things that you do on a day to day basis. When you realize that the house that God has given you is not really your house. But it's his. And that it needs to be used for his work. Because he's given it to you. And we are to be stewards of those things. Sometimes that will change a couple things that we might do. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So the question I ask myself is, do I practice good stewardship when using God's resources? Just like when I was using that seaport truck, I was careful. I was driving down the road just as careful as could be. I would double check, even though you couldn't see anything beneath you, okay? There could be, you know, World War III going on down there, and I'm just up here driving. I wouldn't even know But I was as careful as I could be because I knew that that truck was not mine and that truck was loaned to me to be used for the work of the Lord. If we treated all the possessions that we had like that, I believe that would be a great tool that could be used to to reach many different people. So the first thing is Job realized that everything in his life was temporary and everything done for God is permanent. Secondly, he realized that everything that he had was God's and that he was a steward of what God had given him and that he needed to use the things that God had given him in a great way. Well, let's look at this last part and I believe this is probably the hardest part of the whole verse. He could have just said, naked came I out of the womb and naked shall I return for the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. He could have said that. He could have said it with a horrible attitude. He could have said it in a negative way. He could have understood it but and said it, Maybe in a, in a mean tone. But what does he say at the end there, in the end of that verse? He, said, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Psalms forty two eleven says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. We see, lastly, that Joe praised God no matter the circumstances. He chose that whatever was going to happen in his life, whether he kept the 10 children and and they were all living and doing well, whether all of his resources is $33.4 million and everything that he owned, whether that was there or not, he chose to praise the Lord. Now, last August... uh, we, me and Ryan headed back to college, and our parents were with us, and they were helping us get moved in. Now, for Ryan, it was really exciting. Okay, don't get me wrong. It was exciting for me, but the third year, you go back. You, you just have a little you know, less excitement about it, but you know you're almost there, and you're, you're working hard toward a, toward a good goal. But I remember heading back to college, and we were going to take a couple days and go down to North Carolina to visit my dad's parents. And uh, we left, I think it was a Monday morning. I visited the the route that I was going to be taking on Saturday. We picked up people Sunday. It was a good day. Monday morning, we headed out for North Carolina. And my parents told me and Ryan, they said, if you guys would like to do something in Gatlinburg or near Pigeon Forge, just look it up and and we'll be able to do that. And I thought, well, this is great. We can choose what we want to do and we can have a fun activity with it. So I remember we we were looking up online different things to do. And one of the things was to take... What I would call it was a tram from Gatlinburg, the base there, to the top of what they what they call a mountain. I'm from here in Oregon. I call it a hill. Okay, it looked like a big hill. Okay, and I think sometimes we take for granted the beauty that we see here. I'm just that's a little little added insert there. Uh, But we're going up this tram, and you know it's it's great. Other than not having air conditioning and it being really humid like it is in Tennessee, we were having a good time, and uh, we got to the top of that mountain. And got out, and we were just looking around, having a good time. And I remember, I I think me and Ryan had headed off to do something else, and we came back. And I looked at my mom's face, and I knew something was wrong. And she came over to me and grabbed me by the arm, and she said, "Wesley, your 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 grandma has passed away." And that was the the mima that we were supposed to go down and visit. And I remember my dad talking on the phone, and uh, different things happening there, and. I remember thinking, God, why did you let us get all the way up to this mountaintop to get a phone call like that Then to where we need to head down and, and, and handle this and, and deal with the funeral and different things. And I can remember, you know, the sorrow that I saw in my dad and myself, Ryan, and my mom. And then we're driving down to North Carolina and the water pump goes out on my car. Okay, well, then that happens. We have to get it fixed. And it seemed like everything was going wrong. And for a minute there... I was thinking, Lord, why? I mean, we're trying to be a blessing to my, my grandparents. We're trying to go visit them, and we're trying to go encourage them. Why would you allow this to happen to us during this time? But from the direction of my parents, we decided, you know, sometimes we're not only always going to know why. But no matter what happens, we need to praise the Lord. And, you know, that was rough. I, I can't lie, We're going down there and... And visiting my papa, just him, you know, receiving that news and, and having to handle that and trying to be on top side and, and help him. And really, that was a difficult time. And I could, I could have two options at that point. I could get angry at God and blame him because God doesn't love me anymore. He, he let this happen. Or I could realize, you know, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I could praise God. Uh, Through any circumstance. Is our honor and our praise reliant on everything in our life going as we think it should? Okay? When everything is going great, it's really easy to praise God. Man, you know, the the bus routes are full and people are getting saved. And it's a great Sunday. And Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday, work is going good. And uh, you can go out in the mountains, drive your trucks around there, have a good time. Everything is going great. But when you receive news about your your grandma passing away or fill in the blank, any any trial that any of you have gone through, it's really easy to get angry at God for just a second. But we need to realize, you know, any, any trial that we go through, we should praise the Lord because the Lord knows what's going on and he has a purpose and a plan. But let's see the conclusion of this. What happened because Job had the right response to his trial? And let's look, if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Job chapter 42 and verse 10. Job chapter 42 and verse 10. We're going to see a conclusion here that's very interesting and something that really I had not noticed until my brother brought it to my attention. Verses 1 through 9, we see that Job answers God and he's really humbled by God. And verse 6, he says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verses 7 through 9, we see basically... God restores Job and he, he condemns his friends, but also restores his friends because Job did the right thing. Verse 10, let's look and see what happens. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So we see here that Job, because of his right response to what God had done for him, he not, now he doesn't have $33.4 million dollars. He has double that. Okay, I don't know any math majors in here. Okay, that would be 66.8 or roughly uh, maybe, you know, 67 million dollars. And verse 11, Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, uh, next page, and all they that had been of his acquaintance before, and did eat bread with him in his house, and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. Verse twelve, and this is really the clincher here. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep, which is double, six hundred cam, or sorry, uh, fourteen hundred. 14,000 sheep and 600 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she asses. Verse 13. He had also seven sons and three daughters. So we see here that God really blesses Job because Job has the right response to his trial. Job realizes that everything in his life is temporary. He realizes that everything that he owns is God's and he praises God. But I want you to notice one more thing and this is probably one of the most important parts of the message here. Verse 11. And really I didn't notice it the first time. Verse 11 says, Then came there unto him all his brethren. Wait a minute. Are his brethren mentioned before when when his trial happened? Nothing about him. Not that I can see. Next, and all his sisters. Okay, so his brothers and sisters. And all they that had been of his acquaintance before. That could have been a multitude of people. You have Job's family, which really is not mentioned until this verse. Okay, his brothers, and sisters all of his acquaintances, acquaintances before, and did eat bread with him in his house. They bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord God had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. And you might say, well, why, is this, why does this matter? My question is, do you think that Job's brothers, Job's sisters, and Job's acquaintances were watching Job while this was happening? I do I think that they they didn't go and visit him at that time I think they heard that Job had lost all his ten children I think they knew that Job had lost all of the money that he he had and he had lost all his cattle and his sheep and his oxen but really Job went through this trial and made an impact on someone else's life without even knowing about it and my question to you is when you're going through that trial who's watching you? someone is. Someone is there watching to see how you will respond. They're watching to see if you're, are you really like a Christian? And, and you know, the thing is, if we, if we have a positive attitude when things go right and a negative attitude when things go wrong, what makes us different than the world? Nothing. But his brothers, his sisters and his acquaintances watched him and they watched him really break that chain. They watched him as as trials came into his life. And as his ten children died and everything was taken away from him, they watched him stay faithful to God. And their lives were impacted from it. And they went and comforted Job and brought presents to him because of his faithfulness. And what I would like to point out today is I don't know what you're going through. Okay, Each and every one of us today, we have trials. Some things that we mention to others, some things that we don't. But every one of us is going through something... And I would like to encourage you by saying, the Lord is with you, first of all. But others are watching to see what your reaction is going to be to those trials. They're really watching to see if this Christianity thing, is that thing really real? Are those Christians real or are they just like the rest of us? You know, are are they going to have a a negative attitude when things go wrong? Or when when trials come, are they going to still trust and believe in God? And I truly believe that if we as Christians can live in a way that Job did, that when trials come in our lives, we can respond positively and praise the Lord. That is going to confuse the world and make them interested in Christianity because of our testimony. So three things, three statements that Job learned throughout his life. He realized everything in his life was temporary. He realized everything he had was God's. And he praised God no matter the circumstances. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this message. And God, we, we thank, we're so thankful for the story of Job and the many things that we can learn from this story. And God, we understand that, you know, there are three things that Job learned throughout his life as uh, many trials came his way. He realized that our life is temporary and everything that we have is temporary. He realized that all his possessions were, were God's and he, he understood that he needed to praise you no matter what happened in his life. And God, I wish that each and every one of us here could make a decision today to be like Job, for when trials come in our life, that we can have a positive response to those trials. And Lord, we know one of the reasons we can do that, Lord, is so that the people that are watching us, God, might see our faith, they might see our faithfulness, and they might also become Christians as well. Uh, also, Lord, if there's anyone here today that is not 100% sure that they're on your way to heaven, I would ask that you could settle that today. You know, God, he, he has the keys to the kingdom in His hand. He's willing to give them to you. And the only thing that you have to do is accept that gift. If you'd like to do that today, uh, if there's anyone like that in this room today, would you please raise your hand? You say, Brother Wesley, I've never done that before, but I would like to accept Jesus as my Savior. All right, I trust everyone here is, is on their way to heaven. But there might be someone in this room today and you say, Brother Wesley, I'm going through maybe a little, bit of a, a little bit of a trial in my life, but I want to have the same reaction as Job, and I want to commit today to stay faithful to God no matter what happens in my life. If that's you, would you please raise your hand and, and make, just make that decision? And really, not to me. It's, it's really a promise to God. And uh, at this time, if everyone could stand and the piano plays, uh, if you could pray to God and Maybe you're going through a trial right now and you're not really sure what to do. Maybe you're not going through a trial, but this is just a sermon where you can put that tool in the toolbox and, and use it for later. But whatever you're going through, if you can make a decision today to stay faithful to the Lord and to stay faithful to His calling, Job gave us a great example of, this, of, of that attribute of faithfulness. Heads are bowed and Christians are
1: praying. Oh, thank you so much. You may be seated. Appreciate that message uh, from the book of Job. And, <clears throat> you know, I was thinking, I have grown spiritually because of how I observed other people go through their trials and I've seen how they went through something and from my perspective it's like how did they handle that but I saw them keep their eyes on the Lord and trust in him and I grew from that and that's exactly one of the main things there that was mentioned and so thanks a lot Wesley if you enjoyed that say amen thank you hey how many of you like to hear some good news before we go home some more good news all right can I share a missionary letter with you real quick I'm gonna grab it over here We receive missionary letters uh, from, of course, different missionaries, uh, maybe monthly or at least uh, every other month or so. And one that we always look for we always look forward to hearing them all. But this is one that really um, we enjoy reading and sharing uh, along with the others. And this is from uh, Kevin Wynn in Mexico. And he writes to us uh, a letter. This is May's uh, prayer letter. And he, they enjoy sharing with us uh, so how God is working there in the ministry. And I just would love to read this to you, if we could. May was a great month with 422,668 trusting Christ as their Savior and 10,742 baptized just in preaching services. 1,564 were saved on the church property, and 1,114 were baptized. The rest were saved and baptized in street meetings and parks and empty lots, etc. Many others were saved out soul winning. For example, Dr. Hernandez that I mentioned last month who was one to Christ in front of his clinic, ended up gathering 61 doctors and nurses and staff into a room to hear the gospel. Of those 61 uh, doctors and nurses, 42 of them prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. Glory to God. That's good news, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. We ordained eight more young men to the ministry in May and started more churches. We are working on starting several more works in South America. Uh, One pastor we are helping had over 6,000 in attendance last week in Ecuador. We are starting a new work in Argentina next month. None of this is possible without your prayers and giving. Thank you with all of our heart. Please pray for our health and safety. Pray especially for our children. It is great to see my grandchildren winning souls to Christ. We love you and are praying for you. The winds have been serving there for a long time, and they are sharing the gospel when you have thousands of people sharing the gospel okay then you have thousands of people hearing the gospel and thousands of people trusting christ as their savior and so these are the kind of missionaries that we like to support Uh, those who are uh, I, i don't mind using the word aggressively aggressively sharing the gospel i said this sunday there's no arm twisting there's no manipulating it's sharing a clear presentation of the gospel and if you choose to trust Christ that's wonderful if you don't choose it today then we'll pray for you that you'll do it tomorrow you know or, or the next time but the thing is is it's amazing when you get the gospel out there are people who are interested but you'll never we'll never see that if we don't get the gospel out personally if i don't go if i don't share the gospel with anyone i'm not going to see anyone get saved but if i do Not everyone I talk to will get saved, but I will be able to lead somebody to Christ. And so that's a challenge to all of us. And we have that opportunity this Saturday, among other forms of ministry, to do. And so I'd love to encourage you to join us in our uh, church-wide outreach on Saturday morning. Please consider that. And we're looking forward to our God and Country Day uh, coming up Sunday. And we're all going to be praying for a safe trip home for those from Honduras. Amen? All right, well, let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we dismiss our service tonight. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and the message that we received here tonight. Lord, we're thankful, God, that we can glean from it, we can learn from it, we can make some decisions from it. And, Lord, I ask that you would bless in each heart here tonight. No doubt, uh, all over the room, there's a variety of needs that are very important. There are burdens that people carry. They're trials that someone's going through right now. And Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct them through each part of that. I pray that their spirit would be as we see in the life of Job. I pray that you would use us to be encouragement to them, even if we're going through a trial of our own. Lord, I ask that you would bless in the group coming back uh, from Honduras late tomorrow night. Would you please give them safety through each airport and uh, just their... Uh, traveling throughout the day, would you please bring them back home to us tomorrow night safely? And bless in our ministries this weekend. We need you like we have always needed you. We ask that you would bless in our efforts and use us as we continue to share the gospel and reach others for the cause of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You are dismissed. (music)